This is Purple Radio On Demand. Welcome to the Under One Sky podcast, a podcast exploring the biggest story of homelessness as we seek to bring together humanity in the recognition that we are all alike, just for some people, the right things in their lives have gone wrong. I'm Ollie, and this week we'll be talking to Brian Whiting, a long-term volunteer and team leader at Under One Sky in London. Brian has a particular background and a story that enables him to understand, listen, and relate really well to our homeless friends. Brian unpacks so much in this episode. He's a great storyteller, and he's got a great insight that is acutely aware of our need to recognise that in a lot of ways, we are like those who find themselves in a state of homelessness. I hope you enjoy. Let's get at it. Hi, Brian. Thanks so much for joining us today on the episode. Um, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm fine. Good. You know, running around as usual in London. Busy, busy. Well, what is it that you do? You're a pretty normal bloke. Um, you've been volunteering with under one sky since 2014 so a bit of a veteran um but day to day what do you do uh i'm not, well for one i'm not sure about normal and also <laughs> you know, like a veteran veteran sounds really old um well i'm, I'm a father of three i have a 15 year old son and a twin grown boy of, of of 11 so i spend a lot of time running around after them taxi driver now really yeah um and and i run a, a sort of a private personal training business so i have um uh, like a handful of high-end clients who i see generally very early in the morning up in the west end and and and, and that gives me free time during the late later mornings and afternoons to you know uh, volunteer for under one sky nice um so yeah you've been doing it for a while at least maybe not a veteran but you've been doing it since near its inception um because yeah. under one sky got big over covid um so kind of in its infancy so you kind of know your way around. Um, like, what's your starting point as you engage with people, um, our friends on the street? Well, like with anybody I meet, uh, really, um, I've got things in common with everybody. You know, you know, like, you know, like I might not know their name straight away, but we're all similar. You know, you know, they're like we're human beings. So um, you got to be careful how you approach people sometimes on the street. You know, they might be having a bad day. You know, lots mm. of us have bad like days. Like anyone, yeah. Exactly. So, so we try not to because we go out into te- you know they're normally with teams. Yeah. If you're approaching someone on your own, it's actually a lot easier because because yeah. they're not intimidated so much. You know, if, if you're sitting down on the road and then you've got five people suddenly coming around you, you know, then it's quite scary. So, um, nice, softly, softly. You know, and like I read the situation. If someone's clearly vocal and unhappy, I leave them alone. You know, if, if yeah. they're asleep, I leave them alone. You know, we let sleep like a normal person. Exactly. Don't go wake yeah. someone up and say, "Would you like something?" Yes, I would. Some sleep, please. Leave me alone. <laughs> um, you know. And then when and and sometimes then you'll approach someone and you'll offer them because you know we give out um, some basic, you know, sort of like living supplies, you know, underwear and some um, cleaning stuff and some food, some drink. And when I say cleaning stuff, I mean you know toothbrush, tooth, you know, toothpaste, yeah. shower gels and stuff. But you know, sometimes they say no, and I, I feel that they want to say yes, but their actual trauma or their day it just you know they don't want to talk to someone but you know they might but so you know then i don't i don't push it but yeah. then but then when i meet someone who does want to engage you know then it's fantastic you know you know they might say I, I meet many people who've not spoken to somebody all day you know so it's it's nice and then i have the regulars that i meet who yeah. will see me coming down the road and shout out my name you know it's it's, it's really. really nice yeah. i mean you, you're quite a personable blake from the interactions i've had with you before um so that makes a lot of sense 
Mm. Um, I mean, you've been, as I said, you've been doing this for a while. Is there any stories that stick out? Any people you've met? Um, oh, loads, loads. I mean, I, I, I think the first time I ever went out with with Under One Sky was on our Christmas walks because Under One Sky used to just go out twice a yeah. year. Would go out before Christmas and then after Christmas to try and avoid the charitable groups that go out during mm-hmm. Christmas time. And I'm not saying that they're not charitable all year round, but it seems at Christmas there's a whole load of people go out. Yeah. So we'd we'd go out maybe the second week of second week of like December and maybe the last week of January. So try and hit the people after they've been given lots of stuff and they might need more, you know. Yeah, yeah. I just um so I went we we were getting out some clothes to a guy uh to to like a group of people around Victoria and um there's a big guy and he saw that I had a blue shirt. He goes, Oh, that looks nice. And I took it out. And I said, you know, like, you know, I've got, I've got a nice one for you actually, you know, thinking that the one I had that he'd like, and I got it out and he, go, and he took off his clothes and he put on this shirt and he goes, nah, don't like it. And it was a really nice shirt, you know, a really nice shirt. And I thought to myself, well, of course you don't like it. You know, people like what they like. So it really taught me a lesson that just because you're living on the street for now, doesn't mean mm. that you haven't got taste and things that you like, you know, and where, where like some people might say, well, beggars can't be choosers. Well, he's not a beggar. He's living on the street because life, because life, life conditions have changed for him, you know, then mm. for now, but it doesn't mean that his life won't change again tomorrow. So I learned a lot from that one guy, you know, and, um, you know, then I realized that people, people have choices and, you yeah. know, and, and it's things they like and the things they don't like. So. And so from the, from the outset, you kind of recognize and learn actually that, this is a temporal thing. It's not like state of homelessness isn't enduring. It's it's a state and you can change your state. Thinking a bit about you, you have a certain background um, yeah. that you could say maybe enables you to relate and understand in part um, those who you meet on the street, your friends. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about who you were before working with Under One Sky? Yeah. Um, yeah, sure. I mean, my, my, I'm in recovery from, from from alcohol and drugs yeah and um and i've been you know um using substances since i was a teenager and um and if you'd asked me this question before i got clean and sober i wouldn't have i wouldn't know how to articulate it mm-hmm. and i always wondered why i did something and i thought it's just because i'm i'm greedy or i want to get high or and mm-hmm. then after getting I mean, uh, like I went into rehab in 2013 and um, some friends of mine got together and they, my wife had just left and a friend found out and said, Brian, what's, what's going on? And my first question, you know, my first answer was, oh, nothing, I'm fine. You know, that, that, mm-hmm. you know, that normally fine question. And I'm clearly down. Uh, I mean, you were bro- quite successful, like outwardly, you seem pretty. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, it, it, it depends how you see success. I'm more successful now, but see, it's those things that I felt unsuccessful. Yeah. I always felt less than. So even from a young age as a child, you know, come from middle-class family. I mean, I'm a foster child, but that's nothing to do with it. Yeah. We weren't poor. We weren't rich. Mum and dad yeah. were older than most of my friends' parents, um, but they were good, honest people. You know, they, yeah. you know, we were warm. We were fed. We were disciplined, right? But I, from a young age, I don't know, I, I mean, in my, I'm a Buddhist, in my faith, it's my karma. I, I came into this lifetime with, 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 with a low life state, you know. I, I what was, do you mean by that? So I was, I was, I was angry as mm. a child. I didn't understand 
certain things, you know, and I, I, I was, I was, and, and this isn't people telling me this when yeah. I was young, you know, I was, I had a stutter as a six, seven, eight year old. I had lots of brothers and sisters. I was the youngest, you know, all, all these things. But, you know, I stole as a child, you know, I, I stole money off my mother and father, you know, or, 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 or I lied, you know, I, I, I did things that I couldn't, you know, you know, which I didn't understand. And, um, you had a woman on last week called Julia Pennington and she, she's, she's amazing. And she would show that childhood traumas, um, that while you're going through the traumas, your brain's also growing at the same time. Mm. So it's changed, you know, so all of your, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, you know, I would almost put things in like a little compartment and then move on to the next thing. Sure. Anyway. So yeah, but on the outside successful, you know, worked hard, you know, studied, ended up going to a private school because of my sort of like behavior in London at the time, because, uh, you know, uh, the local, you know, you know, the government would pay for boys like me to go off to private school, which was amazing. Now, when I look back at it and, and I come, I'm accepted. That was a military school, wasn't it? What was that like? It was a military school. Yeah. Um, amazing. You really? know, wasn't and yeah, not many people go to military school. No, no. Well, look, it wasn't strict. I mean, it, you know, like it was attached to the military, right? So, but oh, sure. it wasn't, it wasn't, I mean, my mindset at the time when I went, I felt like I was being abandoned as such, mm. you know, just pushing me away somewhere else. Yeah. So I played up to it, you know, and, you know, then I was a teenager coming into puberty and, you know, and, 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 and I was full of it. You know, 80% of the boys there spoke differently than me. Parents looked different than mine. You know, they were richer. But all of this was going on in my mind. It wasn't really going out on outside, hmm. but my mind would say that it was, you know. So anyway, so I, I left school, um, but, you know, I, you know, then I was doing fine. But I, 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 so I thought, but there was always in the back of my mind that I wasn't doing okay. And mm-hmm. then long-term relationship, still drinking, still using, partying, working. And then I met, I met my children's mother, got married, promised her the earth, hmm. but always you know like a duck on the water i look really smooth on top of the water but underneath my legs are flipping away really flat mm-hmm. flat flat I was, I was i was scared um and in the end it came to like a crescendo my when my first son was born i sort of vowed to myself right i'll, I'll stop drinking i'll stop using drugs and actually it got worse and then i mean what were you using cocaine anything okay, i mean so we're talking big stuff yeah, yeah. Well, you suddenly, so you say big stuff. So this is it. So people just say, so is there a stigma between heroin and cocaine? People mm-hmm. say, yes, there is. Cocaine's a party drug. Mm-hmm. Heroin's terrible. Needles, uh, drug dens, all this, you know, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but, you know, but, you know, the number one one was alcohol, yeah. which I didn't. When my friends found out that you know, I went to rehab for alcohol, they were like, yeah, but you didn't. You were never really that drunk. You were never really that bad. So that word bad, I always felt bad. And then I went into rehab and I said, you're not bad, Brian. You're a good person. You're just unwell. Yeah. And uh, so the alcohol and the drugs stopped working. But at the time, they were like a medicine. But I didn't realize that. So so then if I'm an alcoholic, right, So and, and I suffer from alcoholism, if you take away the alcohol, I've still got the ism. So ISM, I, myself, and me. I myself and me at any given time couldn't deal with life on Mm. life's terms where when I, when I, and then someone says to me, if you don't pick up the first drink, 
you can't get drunk. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. Of course. Because what I didn't realize is, you know, then I, I suffer from a threefold illness. Once I put a drink into my body, I will not stop. Uh-huh. Same as the drugs. So I always thought cocaine was a problem. But actually, I was shown in rehab, the cocaine just helped me drink for longer. Cocaine's not that physically addictive. Really? Right? Yeah, of course. And so, but anyway, but even talking like this, I would still, there's still a stigma. Oh my God, it's taken cocaine. So like, but you know yeah. what? Everybody is addicted near enough to something. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, and I'm not, it's, it's you know, it's, we have these tendencies to do things or run off of stuff. But anyway, it served me where I am now. But at the time, I knew there was something else. I'd, I mean, I talk to myself a lot and say, Brian, it, please, and, you know, and, and quite often turn to God. Say, God, please don't let me do this again and again, next day, next day, next day, but it carried on. But I always felt there was something, something out there that would change. I just thought, this can't be it. It can't be. And you know what? It wasn't. And it wasn't. And then there's that. And, and it's a miracle. You know, you go in, I go and get some help. I stay there for six weeks. I come out. I do all that I'm told. Go to AA. Find yourself a sponsor. Get honest, right? And then help other people. Yeah. So that's what I did. And then, and I was shown that, you know, that my, that the illness of alcoholism, it's not about the alcohol, take that away. It's my ism. I have low self esteem, let's say. So to raise your self esteem, go and do like esteemable things, i.e., helping others. If you, if you, if you need to talk, don't go and, you know, like you don't call a bricklayer in to fix your car. I talk mm-hmm. to an alcoholic who's had who suffers from from alcoholism. Just because I'm not drinking anymore, Lee, doesn't mean I'm not suffering from alcoholism. It's mm-hmm. an illness, right? Yeah. So, that's um, actually. exactly. So that's what I did. That's what I did. Yeah. We all have a friend who drinks too much. We all have a friend, you know, whether it's your uni uni bar or somebody. God, he's always drunk. He's basically he's really happy guy. He's really loud. He's really yeah, fun. Yeah. Or, you yeah. know, you can be a judge. You can be a road sweeper. It doesn't matter. And it's all out there. And so, like looking at when you went to AA, for example, mm, like who was at AA with you? Like what was, what was a typical attendee? Mate, I, I, I won't. I mean, I, I lied to you not. I've sat next to a rabbi one side and a priest the other. Right. I mean, of course, all you, you it's beautiful. It's a beautiful place. Mm. And what you know and what you learn is when you go there is keep your mouth shut and open your ears. Listen to what people are talking about. And on the outside, people think, my God, this guy's talking rubbish. But if I can sit there and think that, am I being compassionate? Or am I actually seeing in him what I see in myself? Yeah, I've always got a lot to say. But, you know, show me, don't tell me. So, yeah, but, you know, favorite saying of yours. Beautiful saying, show me. And then by turning up, you get other people. So there's times I've turned up and felt really awkward. So if I feel awkward, then they must feel awkward too. But if mm. I keep turning up, maybe they'll keep turning up and, and, and they keep turning up, I keep turning up. And that's the magic of AA. Night 35, two guys got together. One was a broker, one was a doctor. Hopeless drunks. All the people that helped them in the past said these guys will not live another few years. Yeah. But they got together, they started talking. And one day at a time, they stopped drinking and they thought, we're onto something here. Two alcoholics talking about alcoholism. And they suddenly stopped drinking, and that's how AA grew in the States. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that, that's a whole other podcast. But... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, I think helpful in terms of thinking about who that general person is, the kind of, like, the person that is affected by alcoholism is anyone. 
right? Of course. But we talk about substance use. Mm. And very quickly, particularly when we're talking in relation to the street or, mm. and our homeless friends, like mm. demonize it. Whereas actually we have, I suppose, in mainstream society with people seemingly with their lives together, quotation marks with that, you know, you can hide it in real, in, in that way. It's justified, right? Yeah, it's justified. Whereas we don't have that same approach when we see people on the street. Um, so, I mean, like a question I have for you is like, you know, how does your rehab experience, AA experience, inform how you engage with your homeless friends? Everything. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't of actually that's the truth. I I I like engaging with people anyway, whether I was using or not using, you know. Sure. But it's taught me a lot because on the on the emotional side where I felt really, really, really low about myself. I hate myself. But I mean I would never tell you that. Because hmm. I'm learning about that myself. And that low self-esteem thing, hating myself for what I'd become, being that person that I never wanted to be, but I'd become, where I can meet someone in the street and know how low that people can feel mm. and how and how desperate people can feel and, 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 and how worthless. And to realize that it's not just people in the street. You know, we all, you know, at, at, at times have these moments, you know, and, 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 and it's daily for some. I mean, for most, yeah. you know, how many thoughts have you had today? Hundreds. How many of them been about yourself? Actually, when you really think about it, most of them, you know, we're quite selfish and self-centered. Mm-hmm. Just because I'm out mm-hmm. helping someone, of course. Why do lots of people want to help someone who's in trouble? But, but, but they'll only go so far. They won't go all the way, you know, they'll, or, or as they like to tell people what they've done. So self-seeking is not, is, is, the, is the thing that I'm not looking for. Mm. But I think all those things are parts of help. So but I went for rehab and I went back every Friday for nearly a year because that's part of the deal. So part of what you have to pay to go, if you go back to a thing called aftercare, so you'd go back to sit in a group of, of, of people who've gone out now to live their lives mm-hmm. and they can come and share their stuff because the counsellors there knew me from the beginning. And they're amazing. Um, uh, you know, there's a couple of Glaswegians that work there. When you've worked with Glaswegians, now they tell you how it is. It's quite hard. It? Yeah, it's blunt, but beautiful as well. Yeah. Like they'd say to me, and like I say to my friends on the street, I love you. Mm. I'm going to love you. I'm going to love you till you love yourself. Where have you That's seen it work? Like, have you seen, oh, have you used that before? 100%. So, give us a story. During, all right. So during lockdown, um, imagine London, like you saw the pictures on the news. Imagine yeah. no one on the street, no one on the street, apart from our homeless friends and us as teams of volunteers going out, carrying lots of bags full of food and stuff. So we turn around the corner. I mean, I'm, in, I'm up in Covent Garden right now. This is where our hub was. We'd walk down towards Trafalgar Square. We'd turn the corner and in five minutes, there could be 80 people there all queued up wanting food. Now it's lockdown and it was the first two weeks of lockdown where we all, we look, we had masks on, we had gloves on. We made a two meter rule. We couldn't touch anybody. We were cleaning our hands every five seconds. We're Mm. putting food down, putting food down and, and, and and then stepping away and and then saying to people, come on, you can pick it up. It was really undignified, but we were really trying to, really trying to provide, but trying to stay in the parameters of what, Westminster or as the government has yeah. said that we had to do to be allowed to go out. So I remember 
we were giving out some food one day and there was this young guy. I mean, he's Romanian. Like, I know him now. He was really angry, shouting all the time, effing and blinding at me and also our team. Very threatening, threatening violence, um, which is very rare. And normally our friends on the street, when it's a group, it's quite self-policing. There'll be mm-hmm. someone who's got a bit more of a personality than the others and they'll tell people to calm down. Anyway, this guy kept doing it. Then he'd almost pick on his other friends and say, don't you dare take that stuff. And then he and then he learned my name because he heard people. So he'd say, Brian, you're this, that. I'm going to do this to you, do that. One night he kind of hung around and waited for you. Now imagine, this is lockdown. This isn't a normal time. Mm-hmm. This is, I say normal. There's a normality on the street. It's not like our times are now when yeah. there's no lockdown. You know, there's no restriction. Anyway, I've take quite regularly, I would take out um, new volunteers because we had lots of new volunteers sign up. So quite often on a walk you'd be taking out people that you've not been with before and I was with a, some I think three or four young volunteers would come up around Embankment Station I'd seen this guy I'm like oh no you know I thought in my head it's going to be a bit confrontational but nothing mm-hmm. I can't handle and then one day he was shouting and screaming and I could see his group of friends wanted to take the stuff we had but he basically threatened them if you do I'm going to hit you or do really? whatever okay. so they didn't take it and that was it I kind of lost my lost my um, not my rag at all. I just thought, right, I need to question this now. My faith says that. I need to stand up for things sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I knew his name. His name was Alex. And I said, Alex, can I have a word of you? He goes, yeah, yeah. And he's come over. And uh, he's not a big guy, but he's quite threatening. But I knew mm-hmm. he's frightened. I knew underneath that there's trauma. I knew it. Yeah. And I yeah. took him, just me and, me and him, one-on-one. And I said, what is your problem? What's your problem? What's your problem? Every time I'm out, you're shouting at me, you're this. What can I do for you? What can I, can I get you something? Is there something you need? Why do you keep shouting? And then he, he stopped for a minute. He looked me in the eyes and he said, I've always been let down. I'm always let down. I used Mm. to have a flat and now I'm homeless. Um, I used to be a barber. I used to cut hair. I went, really? I said, okay. And I quickly thought, I said, so if I got you a pair of clippers, you know, like a pair of like electrical clippers, I mean, not a pair because it's one. If, <laughs> if I got you some clippers and some scissors and a gown and all this stuff, and I got that to you in the next 48 hours, would that help you? He goes, oh, I'd love that. I could cut people's hair out on the street and all that. So I went, okay. He goes, yeah, but you won't. You'll let mm-hmm. me down. You won't. I said, I will. I said, I will. And I did. I've got some friends who are barbers, really nice friends. And, and the, one of my friends, I phoned him up that day. He says, he goes, come around at distance. And then, you know, so then I, we went to his shop. Mm-hmm. I won't say his name. And he gave me a, a really like expensive pair of clippers, mm-hmm. uh, cordless, you know, everything that he needed. Anyway, so the following day, I went out and found him. And I called him over, just me and him. And I, and I took them out of my car and I went to give to him. And he started to cry. And he tried to hold it in. And I could see his lip going. And I said, it's okay. It, it's okay, brother. I understand. And you know what? From that day on, <laughs> we, we turn up on walks and see all these guys with fresh haircuts, shaven, <laughs> little trims up. So he'd go around and do this stuff, you know. And then, and it was cool. Every time he'd go out and there was big queues of people, he'd be making people line up. He changed. He mm. changed. And you know what? A lot of me wanted to confront him. You know, when someone confronts you, sometimes you want to, you know, but I, that's not me anymore. I couldn't have a fight with him or else get angry. So, um, 
yeah so there was a mating and um yeah and, and i still now now then now and then you know i could get the odds get the odd message from him and stuff asking me for things but i have to mm. set boundaries with him is he still on the street um i've not seen him for a while i've not seen him for about six months i, I okay. do get the odd text text off him sometimes but um this is the thing i'd love to know what's happened to everybody we've helped mm. you know we've helped hundreds hundreds of people um so that's just another story, you know. Because, like, I think that's helpful because that started off quite a volatile situation, mm. theoretically. Someone would look at that and think, okay, man, I don't want to get involved with this because I don't mm. want to put myself in that situation. I can't handle mm. that. Like, I'm a small bloke. Like, mm. you know. Um, and there's generally a perception that there's an element of danger um, because mm. of this perceived volatility of those in the mm. state of homelessness. Um, but, you know, there's a stereotype perception true um is working with homeless friends dangerous ev, 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 no and no not at all no more dangerous uh-huh. than you know than going down your local pub at half past 10 at night when someone's had too much to drink yeah you know and then so people are uh, I, if someone's drunk and they're falling all over the place they've overdosed on alcohol let's mm-hmm. say you know you don't see that often in the street you know you don't often yes you're going to see some people disagree with other people. They're human beings, and you know, then we all fight. Imagine, but a lot of families fight inside the house. Girlfriends and boyfriends argue at home. People who mm. live in the street argue on the street. So, so we see it. But for me, all of it's trauma. If someone's mm. shouting and barking, because it's sometimes it works for them. You know, if you want people to leave you alone, sometimes you shout and bark. Some of them have mental health problems. You know, you spend enough time on the street, but. A lot of these people haven't been diagnosed. You know, I, I mean, I listened to Julia's podcast last week. She is yeah. an expert. She's an expert on trauma. She, she understands. That saying, but she is an I, I, I know she doesn't. You know, <laughs> same as I don't like veteran. But you know what? It's fine. But Julia's, Julia's made me think about a lot of things. You know? yeah. And, you know, the mother wound. You know, what a beautiful term. And, and when you really look at it. And, you know, they've shown with the brain how it changed with people mm. that have had contact, had love. You know, the, and then the ones that haven't. And, and it makes me question the way I am around my children as well. Like you say, is it dangerous on the street? I've, I think, I don't know how many times have, I've had thousands of contacts with people. Hmm. And I've, 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 I'm, I, and like in lockdown, I used to look after a hostel. Sometimes there'd be over 30 people staying there. I'd go on my own and have all these people throwing stuff on me. But what rehab taught me, because I went through it and then worked there, so mm. I looked up, so you know, like I managed a house with people who are really suffering. Is that I, I've got to be the light. I have to be the sunshine right there and then in their life. And, 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 and like if I'm coming from a compassionate, um, loving place, you know, I will be protected. And, you know, yeah. we can always walk on. We can always walk on, you know. Um, but no more dangerous than you walking down the road and then something can happen. I mean, there's loads of drugs on the street. During lockdown, you know, you could. We had an area in in the Strand where lots of people would use. We mm-hmm. knew that, you know, they were using a drug called Spice, yeah. which like originated in prisons. It's prison, isn't it? yeah. yeah. But then it's come onto the street. We know they used to pay ten pounds in the no, in non lockdown times, and then the dealers knocked it down to two pounds. So it was everywhere. Even yeah, but two pounds. Two pounds might as well have been a thousand because no one had any money. Imagine, yeah, of course. No, no one was street. No, yeah, no one's giving money. Exactly, exactly. So, but so like a lot of our street friends were 
take it, and where they couldn't get alcohol, they'd take spice. Now, some of these people remember then spice is quite dangerous, I, isn't it? Well, look, I didn't take cocaine because I liked it. I didn't mm. drink because I liked the flavour. I drank because I wanted to change the way that I felt, but I didn't know that. Helpful. Yeah, yeah, really helpful. They're they're the same. They'd stop. We met people who never drank before. Then we'd see them using spice, and it's mm. it's awful when you see it. It's 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 an instant change it's awful but it's the perfect street drug it's the perfect drug anywhere because it changes instantly Just like that. it's awful and this is a question i have for you is like you know you've been 10 years sober now roughly in it nearly um, next year yeah so i mean what are your reflections uh, particularly in, in relation to that stuff particularly in relation to seeing your friends on the street use and substance use in general mm-hmm. how do you feel now I, I don't judge it when I see it, yeah. you know, I can, I can, I can, you know, I can spot one, you know, you know, than a mile off. Yeah. But it, it's, 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 you know, I can also spot the dealers on the street. It's really sad. It's sad, mm. but it's everywhere. You know, we talk about pandemics and 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 epidemics and stuff like that. It's an epidemic. But then mm. I walk through the West End and I watch people in Soho. Everyone's absolutely smashing alcohol. Everybody, and 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 that's not our homeless friends. So everyone's trying to quiet some kind of noise up, you know. So it's here. It's one's it's, seen to be stigmatised, one's not. Of course it is. Of course, it, yeah. of course it is. You know, one's taxed and one isn't, right? For me, you know, the the best thing I ever did was put down the drink and the drugs. But I have to be grateful for one day at a time. So all that using and all those dark times on my own unhappy sad feeling really low has actually every minute of that every second has helped me to where i am now because i can relate to people who've got those things going on in their lives and 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 then so then without that you know then i might not have that compassion i might not have that connection it's all mm. about the connection why is this guy suffering it's not because he's drinking and using why does he drink and use or well, why wouldn't you with all the stuff that's happened to him but what's happened to mm. him or her we don't know yet. We need to peel away the onions. Yeah, so like talking a bit about that, about trauma, we've touched on it quite a lot already. But mm. just maybe kind of illustrating a bit more. Have you seen the effects of trauma on the street? In what way? 100%. 100%. I mean, I could tell another story. Yeah, it'd be great. Um, again, one of our team leaders come across a young girl around King's Cross mm. last year. Um, actually, early... Early this year, um, she was from up north. She'd come down from, she said, so everything we were told at first is secondary evidence. So we have to sure. build up like a, you know, uh, you know, build up like a story first to find out what's true and what's false. Some might hear that and think that you don't trust them. Why? I mean, no, no. I, I, mean, I, I do that with everybody. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 someone comes to me and tells, you know, if my like 11 year old tells me, you know, <laughs> breaks a jug I say how did it happen well you know it just fell off dad you know I really so you know I, I like to find out what's the truth yeah. and, and and not I'm not judging I just want to know the truth yeah so I I we put her up for a night in a hostel I went to meet her all I know from my um fellow volunteer is um she says she's pregnant she's down from Newcastle and she doesn't want to go back Mm-hmm. And she's been on the streets for a couple of weeks. Um, he thought she was under the influence of some kind of substance when he first met her the night before. 
He goes, would I come and see her? So, yeah, I, I said I would. So, number one, we wanted to find out whether she's pregnant because that's really, really important. Because, mm-hmm. obviously, she can be... Yeah, vulnerability, um, you know, it, 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 it... I mean, for one, she's a female. Even if she's pregnant, we can... You know, the, and then we know what path to go down with her. We know what avenues and doors that we can go and then go and knock on or people to phone up. And it's different refugees and different charities that can help with that. So I met her. Um, and actually, when I first met her, I thought, wow, she does it like she's on something. So but I, I sort of chat with her, chat with her. Very childlike. She's 21 or, or like she was 21 at the time. Mm. Very n- not, not, not a lot of eye contact. Da, 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 had a little bit of a giggly stammer avoidance thing going on um but very childlike and then i suddenly she started to open up and talk with me and what she told me is she's 21 from the age of nine her and two sisters have been taken away from her mother put into care away from her violent father she's of um she was brought up in middlesbrough and in a short time from not i say short time from nine to 16 she'd been to 30 plus foster homes yeah mm. plus um so back and forth mm. back and forth yeah over 20 odd schools right so never settled never settled so so let's think about trauma you know taken away from her sisters so when i when, I, when she started to tell me the story i thought i'm talking to a nine-year-old here why do you say that because she's at she's a trauma's come from a young age she's very childlike you know i got to know her over the next 24 hours Built up her confidence. You can see she's clearly vulnerable. Shouldn't be mm. on the street. Shouldn't be on the street. But I wanted to um, clarify some of her story. So she gave me a number to what I think a caseworker, link worker, social worker who was based up, up in Gateshead, Newcastle. I got through to her. I started talking to her. The story started to build. So even what I'd learned from, let's say, let's call her Jane. Her name's not Jane. So the story that Jane had told me and that I shared with her social worker, there was some truth in there. But her truth was that she'd normally at 18, you're let go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but she's a special case. So they help you with housing benefit and, and, and they'll give you a flat. But we can talk about this and you know, then going forward. It's not the answer. This girl's got trauma. She doesn't need money for walls and bills. Yeah. This girl, this girl needs a lot of contact because she's not had a lot of contact. And she's living in London away from her sport network. Well, no. No, so she's run away from Newcastle. Okay. Well, say run away. She's twenty-one. Yeah. I'm free to go where I want. You know, yeah. I'm an adult. She's an adult. She is vulnerable in my eyes, but she's not legally vulnerable. Every time that she get her universal credit, let's say then she get paid on a Thursday. By Friday night, she spent the lot. So let's say she gets, and then because she had other special things, she might get eight hundred pounds. Let's say she'll spend the lot in twenty-four hours. Gone. Now. I spoke about this with 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 Mikel, who was on, you know, our our CEO and also other people. In a sense, it's like that was her twenty four hours of power, twenty four hours of, you know, when I because I wanted to talk, I really got to know her in in the course of a week because I said you spend all your money, and then she, I said, can I see a bank statement? She went, yeah, sure, and I saw black taxi here, pair of shoes, one hundred and fifty quid here. I wasn't judging her; I just wanted to see what mm-hmm. I'm dealing with, mm-hmm. and that was it. It was like a, it was like a like a freedom for her for 24 hours. She could be whoever mm. she wanted to be and throw money around and eat in this shop and get her nails done here. But then mm-hmm. for, it was feast or famine. So then by there for 30 days, she was, she was skin and then suddenly homeless. And I've seen that happen. You know, to her, yeah. 
Unbelievable, unbelievable, and but but also very believable. Anyway, you can understand it. Like you can, of you course, because like you get some money. Life's hard. A bit of relief. She's nine, um, even though she's twenty-one. Yeah. She hasn't been taught. She's had no one to teach her. The brain I hasn't mean, developed it, in the same way. Twenty-one. Exactly. Years yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But all about her. She's a woman mm-hmm. to look at. Um, but but doesn't look after herself. You know, if I, you know, food wise and this wise, anyway, and I'm really worried about her. And then um, I did a pregnancy test with her. She was happy to do one. She wasn't pregnant. She wasn't. Mm-hmm. She might have been. And I, I don't care why she said she was or whatever. Well, we just needed to know. Yeah. But um, and I'm kind of happy that she wasn't. Also sad that she wasn't, you know, that kind of. Mm-hmm. But at least then we knew what we were dealing with. And then one day she just disappeared. Gone. Couldn't. I hadn't heard from her. A lot of people might say to you, I mean, in regards to this, but also maybe more generally, like, you know, why don't you just put people up, give them a house, create fun, get a fundraiser going, get a hostel. I mean, you've done that before, but, you know, find a person on the street, create a friendship. If you're really friends with them, surely you'll give them something to stay, right? Like, why Why do you not do that? No, I took a, I, I can tell you many stories where I've taken someone in mm-hmm. or one of our team leaders has said, look, can we get this person into a hostel for the night? I said, I know the person you're talking about. I don't think they'll stay there. Yeah. So it's, and it's not the answer. So some will go in. So pouring down with rain, zero degrees. You think you want to be in somewhere that's dry and warm just, just for the night. But you know what? They, we've dropped them off at the hostel. They've gone in, they've signed in, done all that stuff. 10 minutes they've left. Right. So Mm. it's, it's the, the shock, the fear, the trauma. They've mm-hmm. gone in, whoa, fight or flight. So they've they flipped, flown. You know, they've gone. They feel safer where, where they are. They can control somewhere where they know, which is and the street. The streets are more normal. A hundred percent. A lady said to me once, she's in her 60s, been on the street a long time. Mm-hmm. She says, Brian, and I, you know, I know her really well, beautiful. She says to me, Brian, I don't get bills coming through my door because, because, because I haven't got a door, right? <laughs> she goes, I don't get bailiffs knocking at my door. I don't get all that problems, you know. But she, you know, you know, and not that's all not to say the live, street is easy. Not at all. And, and she was starting to find it hard. She's had pneumonia twice. She's, you know, she's been on the yeah. street for a long time. You sleep on the cold streets for long enough. It will look people that people that live on the street <coughs> die young. Very, very, very young. That's, yeah, a hard thing. that's a fact. And every cell in your body. Now, Julia taught me this. You've got trauma up in your mind. And you're out in the street. Your fight, flight, or freeze, she calls it. Mm, she talks about that. The three Fs, which I'm going to call it now. Fight, flight, uh, yeah. So, which I, which, you know, which I made up, Julia, so don't be stealing that. So, the three Fs. So, <laughs> the three Fs is every cell in your body will have trauma. Mm. Every cell, which means you're, you're very, you're, you're never really asleep. Yeah, you're always on a heightened sense of alert. Yeah. It's why... Like you've done some walks around Durham, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So if you meet, if you know where someone beds down at night, generally before the sun comes up or just when the sun comes up, they will move. Yeah. Because and it's not because they don't want to carry on sleeping. One because they wake up anyway. Two, they don't want people to see them where they are. Yeah, for yeah? sure. We have I've right? got a couple friends where they won't even tell me where they sleep, which is completely fair no. because they don't want. Of course, they're fearful How that I'm going to tell someone sleeping? else. If I ran into your bedroom. You know, then when you're lying in your bed and you've never met me, what are you going to do? Get out! You know, you'd be like, 
picture. It's a very, a very safe. It's, it's supposed to be the safest place, right? Mm. It's in, a, in your bed, safe. Imagine your bed's outside, not safe, in a doorway, in a park, under some cardboard. And um, kind of last two questions. Maybe like I want, I'm really interested to hear this question. It's like, um, what have you learned whilst doing this work? Um, like, have there been people that you've met that have kind of like blown your perceptions way out of the water? Okay, all right. So someone said to me, "Have you read Dale Carnegie?" And I said, "No." And a friend of mine was teaching it, mm. and he actually done the Dale Carnegie course, runs courses, gets paid for it. He's really good, and, I, and he's a natural teacher, very good teacher. And I got the book, started reading it, and I was on uh, chapter two. And chapter two talks about the three C's mm-hmm. of uh, don't don't condemn, criticize, or complain. Mm-hmm. I sort of read it for about half, half day. Like, takes me that long to read you know, the like, chapter mm-hmm. and a half. So I went, I went out on a walk, and we come across a guy that we know long, long time, been on the streets a long time. When I first met him, he used to be super aggressive, had always had loads of bags with him. He, He'd block up a whole doorway, really aggressive. Also super interesting as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose you'd say a stereotypical bag man on the street, but not at all. I mean, he's got his own way about him, got his own story. So I'd met him in, again in lockdown, and I was with a group of girls, um, you know, like a team, young young ladies. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and I'd say to them, oh, this guy's fantastic. You've got to meet him. He's really cool, really nice. And, of course, they he, he's 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 quite intimidating in, in a sense. Is he's old? He's got a beard. He's always got an answer for everything. He, he's a bit sure, aggressive, yeah, yeah. but not. But but yeah. But I like that in him. That's his yeah, game. Yeah. That's his. That's his kind of. Yeah, you know, yeah. That's his kind of stay away from me because I can be a bit angry, but I'm not really, you know. But really, then he wants to engage. So we've gone up and met him, and I've mentioned something. I said he goes, he goes. Well, I'm fine, thank you very much. How are you? I said, well, I'm practicing the three C's today. He goes, oh. Three C's, page seven, Del Carnegie, uh, paragraph three, and he's just gone the whole page, <laughs> whole page, word for word, no book in front of him, and he's, it, it blew me away. Right? I mean, I'm reading a book right there, and he goes, "You've got to practice it." Da, 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 da. Did you know Del Carnegie was? And then, and uh, he knew it. And he, he was amazing, and it taught me that lesson. You know nothing about anybody till you sort sat and spoke with them. Mm. You know. And uh, in my faith, it, 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 it says the teacher always appears when the pupil's ready. And the teacher doesn't have to be a professor with a gown in a university. Mm. It could be a one-year-old child. It can be a bird. It can be a cat. It can be an old man on the street. It doesn't matter. When the mm. lesson's there to be learned, the teacher will appear. And it was beautiful. It was beautiful. Mm. Has the work you're doing with Under One Sky changed you? Oh yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I mean, no, nothing shocked me. It, 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 nothing. I, uh, I used to work for emergency services before I, before I became sort of training people, and so I'd seen a lot of death on the transport system of London, you know, and and stuff. And mm. nothing shocks me in a sense. I think it's, I think it's opened my eyes to more, to to the people that suffer on what would some say at the lower ends of society. But see, I don't see it like that. I don't see someone on the street and see them lower yeah. than someone who's in a big house. Cause I know that person in the big house or with a great job, 100% they're suffering. I could, yeah. 
I can tell you some names right now of people I know personally mm. who, who who are doing well on the outside, but they're really unhappy. Yeah. yeah? And I know some people in the street who are really happy. I, yeah. could, I, I could walk less than 200 yards from here and go and meet a man I know, Irish John, who would tell you <laughs> I've, been on the, I've been on the street for 30 years and I'm happy, Brian. I'm not unhappy. You know, he won't, he'll, he'll hardly take anything from us. He goes, I've got everything I need. You mm. know, he's a gentle, big Irish man, but gentle soul. Mm. You know, what's going on in his life? He never really talks about it. I'm sure stuff has. Yeah. You know, we, we don't know, but it, it, it's taught me about people. And actually that my life, me, Brian, was born at this time to do what I do now. It makes my life better. If I died today, I'd be a happy guy. I've, I've, mm. I've done that's a lot well we can always do a bit more and my thing was always to hand it on to the children so mm. I take the kids out you know my older one used to be super keen when he was a bit younger he's not so keen now because he's 15 but if I say to him you've got to come out or you don't get this and that then he'll come and then <laughs> after an hour yeah but then after an hour he's like oh I really really enjoy this again you yeah. see but that's the age where well, the twins are fantastic the twins yeah. still still love it and so if, if I can hand that on to the children that's always been a good thing because it's the you two are the they're the next generation but you know we my daughter says change your heart change your world if you change the way that you heart how you deal with people then you can change the whole world and mm. but it's got to start with people around you you know it's, how can i change i need to get up and get out you mm. know show me show me don't tell me you know so i think that's a great way to end like that encapsulates everything you've kind of talked about um Thanks, so Brian, massively appreciated this. I really, right. really, really enjoyed this. Um, just kind of, you brought. I think you brought to life like the humanity of it all, um, and actually the stories that you've told are so illustrative of that actually these guys are real worth, like they're, they're real people, um, right. and they're just joys to engage with. Um, right. So just thank you for that, um, and thank you for Pleasure. telling part of your story and your honesty in that. Um, like it goes a long way. So thank you so much. Pleasure. Thank you very much, Ollie. Take care. Cheers. Cheers, Brian. See you soon. Bye. 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 Purple Radio Podcasts. Thanks for downloading this Purple Radio podcast. For more great content and to listen live, head to purpleradio.co.uk.